Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.49 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is the 8th of February, 2022, and this is episode 541 of Bitcoin and Peter Schiff in rare form. Actually, not in rare form, in usual form, has come out to rail against the uh, small Bitcoin rally that we've been seeing the first part of this month. And he says... Even though Bitcoin rallied 35% from its January low, it's still down almost 4% so far in 2022. More importantly, it's down over 4% on a year-over-year basis. Oh my God. On February 6, 2021, Bitcoin closed at approximately 46,400. This year-over-year decline comes despite unprecedented promotion and hype. So here we have Peter Schiff starting, starting our day out. And of course, I I had to respond, and I, I do so in this fashion. If I were one of your customers or clients, I would be very, very concerned as to the amount of time that you not only devote to social media, but the time that you devote to Bitcoin. Do you even know how to manage risk at this point? Think about it. Think about how much time Peter Schiff just spills his loses his shit about bitcoin he we all know that he hates it we all know that he loves gold he loves his little shiny metal rocks but it seems to me that he spends an inordinate amount of time focused on bitcoin and not on shiny metal rocks think about it this way if your banker your loan officer then you run a business and you have several dealings with your loan officer throughout the year. Not just like, you know, you get a mortgage for your house and you're paying your mortgage, you know, all that shit's, you know, you can automate all that crap, right? Once you got the mortgage and, you, and you've, and you you know, done the smart thing and locked in a, an actual interest rate instead of doing an, a, an adjustable rate mortgage, by the way, don't do an arm, do not do an adjustable rate mortgage, you're, you'll get, you'll get killed. Um, then if you've done, if you've just locked in a, an interest rate on your mortgage, there's not really much else you do except pay your mortgage. But if you run a sizable business and you are constantly talking to your loan officer because you're constantly getting loans, paying off loans, you know, it, it, it becomes a deal where you really need to talk to your guy. Would you feel comfortable if all he did was concern himself with fishing literally going out and fishing. He's not, doesn't seem too concerned with the vagaries of what's going on with Fed interest rates. Not terribly concerned with, oh, I don't know, all of the vagaries that go along with being a loan officer. No, 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 no. He's more concerned with when he's going to go fishing. When's the next time he's going to hook up with his buddies and go fishing? How are they going to cook the fish? What kind of fish are they going to go for? What, you know, like, can they go, you know, learn how to do ice fishing? 
this as a customer of that particular loan officer that kind of activity would concern me greatly and it would it seems to me that peter Schiff's customers and clients at this point should be very concerned with his undying devotion to bitcoin because i can't tell even if he's a hater of bitcoin he actually acts more like a bitcoiner than somebody he doesn't tweet about gold that often not as often as he does about bitcoin he doesn't seem to concern himself with his major function of business and that really is concerning for his clients and his customers so it wouldn't surprise me if after a while people just get tired of it and start fleeing to not to bitcoin to another gold you know a peddler of shiny metal rocks but so there's your peter Schiff news for the day now ftx to give bitcoin away during its super bowl ad oh this should be interesting nomsios has it for bitcoin magazine cryptocurrency exchange ftx will give free bitcoin away during its upcoming super bowl ad on sunday the company said on a monday tweet quote how much one million worth 1.5 million worth we don't actually know yet the later our big game ad airs the more bitcoin you can win see on sunday ftx tweeted four lucky winners will be selected by ftx and the amount of bitcoin the exchange gives away will be based on the eastern standard time that its ad runs on nbc on sunday february the third i don't think that they're actually that's the wrong date during the second half of the upcoming super bowl ad Come on, Bitcoin Magazine, get your editors. <clears throat> Let's see, hold on for a second. Let's find out when the when it really is. February the 13th. Come on, Bitcoin Magazine. That's kind of a kind of a deal. That's not on the 3rd. The 3rd was a few days ago. Anyway, quote, for example, if it runs <clears throat> at 9:02 Eastern, we'd give away 9.02 BTC per the contest webpage. To be eligible, for winning the contest, one must retweet the pinned tweet on FTX's official Twitter account between the time the ad airs and 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The contest is open to U.S. legal residents of over 18 years of age, except to New York residents, of course. The four winners will be contacted via Twitter DM and will need to create an account with FTX to claim the prize. Bitcoin-related companies last year turned to sports in a push to get more mainstream attention to the offerings, a trend that is set to escalate this year. <clears throat> in June, celebrity couple Tom Brady and Giselle Buchgen, however you pronounce her name, acquired an equity stake in FTX as part of a long-term partnership, which also foresaw both Brady, an NFL star, and Buchgen, a world-renowned supermodel, becoming ambassadors for the cryptocurrency exchange. Competitor Crypto.com last month partnered with NBA superstar LeBron James and his LeBron James Family Foundation to launch a series of educational and job training initiatives about Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, and related technologies. In November, the exchange paid over $700 million to replace Staples as the title sponsor of downtown Los Angeles' arena where James and the Los Angeles Lakers play their host games. So FTX uh, coming coming hard with Bitcoin ads. Now, okay, they're going to give Bitcoin away. Does that necessarily mean that it's going to be a Bitcoin ad? Not at all. I still expect them to push the shittiest of shit coins and just give Bitcoin away. That's what I expect. But guess who's not watching the Super Bowl? 
and has two thumbs. <laughs> this guy. I don't care. Sports ball at this point is so pre-pandemic. It, we, we've entered into a new world. And it's basketball, football. I might still have like a place in my heart for some baseball. But other than that, I just, I literally couldn't give a shit. And I just don't see why people are just fawning over themselves every single February about the goddamn Super Bowl. It's just, it's ridiculous. I've seen at my grocery store, starting starting January 1st, huge, massive displays for the Super Bowl with chips and like shitty Tostitos queso and hot sauce and stacks and stacks of beer and Cheetos and Fritos and all kinds of just terrible, terrible things that you would be putting in your body. Uh, I'm not going to include beer on that, although, you know, too much alcohol will fuck you up. I'm just saying. It's, it's amazing to me to see this fawning over this stupid game that actually hasn't been a good game in well over a couple of decades. The AFC versus the NFC is always a blowout. It's always a shitty game. I might as well watch the All-Stars game, which is honestly just as bad. It's That game's never good either. I, the NFC Championship, the AFC Championship, those are good games. AFC versus NFC, might as well be watching the Pro Bowl or something like that. Anyway, so <clears throat> now it came to my attention from Arizona Hoddle that would be at Arizona Hoddle, A-R-I-Z-O-N-A-N-H-O-D-L. The smartest Super Bowl ad would be one minute and give people 30 seconds to download a Lightning Wallet and then the other 30 seconds to send an invoice. Give millions of people sats and the instant Bitcoin experience everyone would be talking about it the next day. Arizona Hodel is right. This is, in fact, a brilliant marketing ploy, and I'll tell you why. <clears throat> Even though I suck as a marketer, and we all know that. This ad would be a real-time interactive experience between your potential customer base and your company. And it would be fun. Can you do this in a minute? You know, especially if they gave you a couple of, couple of warnings, you know, like a couple of 15-second slots or whatever where it was like, hey, man, we're about to do this. Get ready. We're going to give you instructions. So have your phone ready, have it open, have it unlocked, whatever. That puts the, the potential customer very, very close to the experience that you want to offer them. You can't buy. I mean, you literally cannot buy any better experience so I think Arizona and Hodel actually has the better, you know, whatever idea FTX comes up with, I guarantee you the Arizona and Hodel idea is far, far better. I'm just, I'm just saying. Now, let's get into the rest of this. There is a fight for Joe Rogan right now with large, I'm going to say decentralized for lack of a better term. I don't know. If these guys are truly, completely decentralized or not, but let's just go with it so that we can get on. Uh, Rumble Video at Rumble Video on Twitter has reached out to Joe Rogan directly and has given them has given him a letter that was dated yesterday. It says Joe Rogan at the Joe Rogan Experience, dear Joe, we stand with you, your guests, 
and your legion of, or sorry, your legion of fans and desire for real conversation. So we'd like to offer you 100 million reasons to make the world a better place. How about you bring all your shows to Rumble, both old and new, with no censorship for a hundred million bucks over four years? This is our chance to save the world, and yes, this is totally legit, sincerely, and signed by Chris Pavlovsky, the CEO of Rumble Video. Not to be outdone, Odyssey, if you're familiar with Odyssey, which is sort of like a YouTube replacement as well, Odyssey team responded to that tweet the rumble video tweet and said oh yeah well check this out and then they linked to their own tweet to joe rogan says hey joe rogan we're ready to fight alongside you see the note from our ceo uh, jvl chandra and it's got a picture of the letter that they sent joe rogan at the joe rogan experience dated february the 7th 2022 dear joe we stand with you, your guests, and your legions of fans in desire for real conversations so we'd like to offer you a hundred gazillion reasons to make the world a better place. How about you bring all your shows to Odyssey, both old and new, with no censorship, including criticisms of Israel and Donald Trump, for 100 gazillion bucks over four years. This is our chance to save the world, and yes, this is totally legit, and not just a marketing ploy for attention. <laughs> Sincerely, Julian Chandra, CEO of Odyssey. Okay, so the second one is probably more of a joke, but still, I mean, if you got... Joe's going to go somewhere. Joe can't work like this. I don't know Joe personally, but I know that he's a human being and he probably eats food. And every once in a while, I'm pretty sure that he smokes dope. That means he's a human being, right? And of course, if you don't smoke any pot, it doesn't mean that you're less of a human. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that he does human things. He seems to me to be a human being of, you know, earthling. He's an earthling. Right? So he's a human being. He's an earthling. He walks around as a biped. He does things that humans do, and he likes doing the stuff that he does. Clearly, he wouldn't have been doing it for as long as he has been if he didn't like it. He's not going to hang around very much longer. That's my gut feeling. Now, I think it's either that he's going to put, he's going to start doing things that really puts pressure on Spotify to get to just say Sayonara no-fault divorce, get out of here. You've already got your $100 million because I'm pretty sure that the way that deal was structured, nobody, re I don't know if anybody is really getting this straight, but everything that I know about the deal is that he got paid lump sum $100 million and that was it. And I guess he's probably going to get some revenue off of podcasts that are played on Spotify. I'm not sure about that part, but he's already been paid. He doesn't need to hang out. And you know that he didn't enter into a $100 million deal. It's not like he was poor to begin with. It's not like his podcast wasn't generating millions of dollars anyway. He did not do this without lawyers at his side. You know that there is a very real chance that Spotify may very well already be in breach of their contract and Joe's just trying to be cool about it. $100 million, I'd try to be cool about it too. But this won't last for very much longer. Hence, Joe will be looking for another platform to go to. And he's going to have a bad taste in his mouth about what centralized platforms like Spotify can do. Like, you know, take down 100 of your episodes, which has apparently occurred, and they'll probably take down more. In either event, 
He's going to move. And I hope that it has something to do with podcasting 2.0. I really do. Nothing would be a better kick in the pants to podcasting 2.0 and the oncoming onslaught in the next five to 10 years of the value for value model that content creators are going to start experiencing. It's either, it's, it either comes faster or it comes later, but it is not the case that it will not uh, come at all. It is coming. You need to learn how to do it. I have podcasting 2.0 enabled. If you want to stream me Satoshi's real time while you listen to this podcast, you can do so. And you can use the Sphinx Chat app, or you can use Fountain app, or you can use Breeze Wallet, which are my three favorites. But there's like 25, if not 35 of these things out there that are podcasting 2.0 enabled. It won't take long for Joe to jump ship. The question is, where will he jump? Question is also, where is KPMG going to jump? Well, it looks like they're jumping to Bitcoin, God knows, and shitcoin number one. KPMG Canada adds Bitcoin and Ethereum to its balance sheet, uh, written by Matthew DeSalvo uh, for oh, decrypt.com. <clears throat> oh, actually, decrypt.co. KPMG Canada today announced that it directly invested in Bitcoin and shitcoin one, the two largest cryptocurrencies by market cap. The move is the latest among a growing trend of large institutional players to add cryptocurrency to their balance sheets, including MicroStrategy, Square, and Tesla. The Canadian arm of the accounting giant said in a Monday statement that the investment reflected their, quote, belief that institutional adoption of crypto assets and blockchain technology will continue to grow and become a regular part of the asset mix. KPMG did not say how much they invested, but added that they bought carbon offsets to maintain a net zero carbon transaction. Quote, crypto assets are a maturing asset class, said Benji Thomas, Canadian Managing Partner Advisory Services of KPMG Canada. Quote, investors such as head funds and family offices to large insurers and pension funds are increasingly gaining exposure to crypto assets and traditional financial services such as banks, financial advisors, and brokerages are exploring offering products and services involving crypto assets, end quote. Kareem Sadik, KPMG Canada's advisory partner, crypto assets, and blockchain services co-leader, added that the company would branch out to other industries in the crypto world, quote, We've invested in a strong crypto assets practice, and we will continue to enhance and build <clears throat> on our capabilities across decentralized finance, non-fungible tokens, and God forbid the metaverse, to name a few, he said. Quote, we expect to see a lot of growth in these areas in the years to come, he added. <clears throat> KPMG Canada is the latest big company to add crypto assets to its balance sheet. Software firm MicroStrategy kicked off the trend in August 2020 when it bought $250 million worth of Bitcoin, and it has continued to buy Bitcoin ever since. Currently, they hold $5.5 billion in the biggest digital asset, according to Bitcoin Treasury's data. Other companies like payments company Square and electric car company Tesla also followed suit. They currently hold $355 million and $1.9 billion, respectively. KPMG is a British-Dutch multinational and one of the big four accounting organizations, which includes PricewaterhouseCoopers, Deloitte, and Ernst & Young. All right, so that's the end of the article. That's not the end of the story. KPMG being one of the largest four accounting firms in the world 
It means they do accounting probably in almost every country on the face of the planet. And what do they do? They buy Bitcoin. Yes, and they bought a shit coin too. That's disturbing, but it is what it is. You're, you know, I mean, they can buy whatever they want to buy. I'm not going to tell them any different. <clears throat> I think they made a mistake with Ethereum, but we will we'll have to see. In either event, they did buy Bitcoin. They are representing what? Multiple tens of thousands of companies in their accounting practices. Do you not think that that won't infiltrate into the minds of their customers? Yes, it will. As to what's going on with the small sell-off today, I don't know. I'm so sick of the futures market already. It's just, it's disgusting. I just, I, I want the spot out to the spot uh, ETF out to be able to balance some of that shit out. But I don't know if Gary Gensler is ever going to nut up enough to be able to get the balls prepared to be able to do that. So we'll we'll just have to wait and see. Meanwhile, latest from Putin and Xi suggests growing political interest in Bitcoin. Bitcoin Magazine's Mike Hobart on February the 4th. News emerged that Russian President Vladimir Putin had issued a letter to the people of China published by a local news agency that detailed ongoing trade between the two countries and mutually beneficial infrastructure projects. Chinese President Xi Jinping and Russian President Vladimir Putin also met in Beijing ahead of the opening of the 2022 Winter Olympics hosted in Beijing and dropped some heavy conversation onto the wires. Stemming from that meeting, the leaders issued a joint statement that confirmed Russia's backing of China in its disputes with Taiwan, expressed concerns over a defense alliance led by Australia, the UK, and the US, and criticized the expansion of NATO, among other things. But among all the geopolitical lines being drawn in the sand by these two dictators, <laughs> leaders, one issue in particular could signal forthcoming attitudes around Bitcoin. Russia and China have been in the crosshairs of many tense political topics and have both been targets for threats of economic sanctions recently, making it unsurprising that the two neighbors are seeking alliances around trade and scientific development. Quote, we are consistently expanding settlements in national currencies and creating mechanisms to offset the negative impact of unilateral sanctions, Putin wrote in his letter to the Chinese people. Quote, a major milestone in this work was the signing of an agreement between the government of Russia and the government of China on payments and settlements in 2019. This is coming on the heels of threats to cut Russia off from the SWIFT system that were made just days prior. Russia is particularly well positioned to evade sanctions considering the treasure trove of Forex reserves that it holds, valued at north of $600 billion five months ago. Do these actions implicate interest in a strategy of broader Bitcoin adoption by one or both superpowers? It doesn't seem like a far off reality. Russia's central bank has suggested a ban on Bitcoin and Putin, backed by other members of the government, pushed back, suggesting that Russia stood to gain advantages with Bitcoin and mining, as reported by Bitcoin magazine late last month. Tangentially, Belarus has signaled interest in keeping its liberal approach to Bitcoin only one day prior. To further push the likelihood of implied interest in Bitcoin, we need to turn to reading between the lines. China has been under pressure during this energy crisis, along with members of the EU. Of particular note, 
is the drought that has been occurring this winter in China, resulting in warnings of uncharacteristics and unannounced water supply cuts, with the Yunnan province in particular being squeezed by reduced hydropower outputs thanks to the droughts, hitting a major power supplier to Guangzhou, the capital of Guangdong. Guangdong is heralded as a powerhouse of China in terms of trade activity. If the power supplier such, uh, for such a key source of trade for China has a problem, then President Xi has a problem. With this context, another section of Putin's letter is particularly telling. Quote, a mutually beneficial energy partnership is being formed between our countries. Along with long-term oil and gas supplies to China, we have plans to implement a number of large-scale joint projects. The construction of four new power plant units at Chinese nuclear power plants with the participation of Rosatom State Corporation launched last year is just one of them. All this significantly strengthens the energy security of China and the Asia region as a whole, end quote. Putin seems to understand the value that Bitcoin brings in providing incentives to create expanded and robust power production by all sources, including the environmental positives that Bitcoin mining yields by providing a use case for flare gas. On top of that, Bitcoin has likely been proven desirable in its censorship resistance potential in the face of threats by Western nations hoping to cut Russia off from the SWIFT system. And last but not least, there's the basis of the network's decentralization. The number of reachable Bitcoin nodes across the globe has been rapidly approaching a daunting 15,000 in number. Of particular note is that these are only the nodes that are not obfuscated via Tor or other privacy tools, meaning that we have no idea what the concrete number is, but that it is likely higher than the estimated total. <clears throat> Bitcoin continues to prove its value to the world. It seems safe to say that we can expect more countries to announce interests going forward. Oh, buckle up, Bitcoiners. We only just started the second month of the year. All right, Mike, I, you know, there's not really a whole lot in here that directly points to interest in Bitcoin either between or from Putin or from uh, Xi Jinping. However, yeah, I can read between the lines too. Uh, both of these countries, however, are, are powerhouses and they are neighbors and they have a better relationship with their neighbors than the United States does with somebody like Mexico. We've got a pretty good relationship with Canada, but we have a shitty relationship with Mexico. We just do. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. Public perception of Mexico is, oh my God, they're all gonna come over here and take our jobs and all that kind of shit. Yeah, I get that Ill illegal aliens aren't exactly the best thing in the world for a country. I'm just saying, what do you expect when you don't have a really good relationship with your neighbor? then you are not helping your neighbor cut through the bullshit that is causing their people to want to leave in the first fucking place. If we had, if instead of giving China all of our production, if we had sent a lot of that production down to Mexico, guess what happens? A whole bunch of jobs crop up in Mexico. And guess what happens after that? There's not a whole lot of people leaving Mexico. I'm just saying, it's not rocket science here, people. I mean, it's like geopolitical stuff is... They, they tell you that you are not qualified to be able to think for yourselves along these lines and, and on these matters, but that is a lie. You are more than able to be able to formulate this kind of stuff for yourself, right? That's why I don't mind talking about it. I don't care if I didn't get a public policy PhD from fucking Harvard. I don't need it. I'm sorry. I know that if we had sent our manufacturing to our neighbors rather than halfway around the world, 
we would probably be in a lot better state of affairs. Now, that said, Russia and China are, are buddying up. Those are two, that's a lot of landmass. Those That's a lot of people coming together. It's a lot of infrastructure that's being tied together. It's going to be a lot of money that is going to start coalescing with each other. And they're not going to stop there. China's going to go down through Taiwan, down through um Malaysia and all that shit until they hit New Zealand and Australia. And you're going to have a split in the world that starts in like Tasmania and southern tip of Australia all the way up through the Urals and all the way over to, you know, through China and Urals and Russia, all the way to right smack dab on the edge of Eastern Europe. NATO is going to shit. And NATO already is shitting about this because they know that this shit's coming. So what what happens next with these two countries? If they get cut off from the rest of the world in the SWIFT system, I you know it, it would just be easier for them to create their own system to talk talk and trade amongst themselves. So how do you combat that? Well, you've already tur- you you can't threaten the SWIFT system with or these guys with cutting them off from the SWIFT system. You've already done that if if that actually ever occurs. The only at, at that point we've got the West ends up being just a bunch of fractured financial legacy systems that already have difficulty talking to each other. I think the real story between Russia and China and what China's planning on doing to, uh, down south across their borders going down to Australia is what I think is really going to happen and their foray into Africa. I think what's going to happen is that the West will have a better advantage with in a world that looks like that if it's solidified with Bitcoin. So that's sort of the opposite take of what we just read. Now, moving on, Jack Dorsey's Cash App integrates Bitcoin's Lightning Network. Yeehaw! And I just used it and sent a thousand sats from my Cash App directly to my Lightning node, and it was a thing of beauty. Caveat, I, said, I, I did two Lightning transactions. I did one yesterday to my Lightning node. I set the invoice to expire in 30 seconds, and I sent it on, and it was pending, 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 and that payment failed. This morning, I tried again. It sent a thousand sats from my from my Cash App balance to my Lightning node, but this time I set the invoice for 15 minutes, and within 30 seconds, it it went through. It went through. So there are you're going to find that maybe the the Lightning nodes that Cash App is using aren't as well connected, but that'll change. So all the people that are like, we'll show you the pictures of their failed transaction with Cash App. Just disregard it, okay? Nomsios has it for Bitcoin Magazine. Users of Block's mobile payment platform Cash App can now make instant and free Bitcoin payments through the Lightning Network. The integration of Bitcoin's second layer protocol for faster and cheaper transactions was made possible by the Lightning Development Kit, an open source project developed by another company owned by Block named Spiral. Spiral operates completely independently of its parent company and Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Block and the ex-CEO of Twitter, also has little direct control over it. Instead, the self-directed group of developers, designers, and project managers work together to advance the adoption of Bitcoin. The Lightning Development Kit, the LDK, is a flexible Lightning implementation geared towards developers who want to integrate Bitcoin's Lightning Network into their applications frictionlessly. 
It abstracts away complexities of Lightning, enabling developers to integrate the network easier and faster into their apps. Jack Dorsey said in a fireside chat last week with Michael Saylor, the CEO of software intelligence company MicroStrategy, that having Cash App integrate Lightning through the spiral's work was one of the proudest moments of his career. Lightning adoption has skyrocketed since El Salvador made Bitcoin legal tender back in September, prompting users to use the faster payment rails to buy their daily breakfast at McDonald's or their morning coffee with Starbucks. Despite critics saying that Bitcoin cannot be used as a means of exchange due to its base layer's slow settlements, Lightning empowers Bitcoin to handle the smallest of payments for little or no cost. Now, all Cash App users can leverage Lightning to send small payments instantly and for free. However, it seems that Cash App cannot yet receive Lightning transactions itself, only send them. Well, that's that's fine by me. I mean, uh, you know, you got to start somewhere. You can't just have everything live out of the box. That kind of attitude has got us in a lot of trouble with our technology so far. I think this is a good approach. Can we send? I don't know. Why don't you put it out into the masses and let them all try sending shit and then we will figure out where it fails and then we'll fix that. And then when it's all fixed, then we'll make it go in reverse where you can send lightning payments to the cash app. We'll have to see, but lightning, lightning payments to the cash app will happen. I, I wouldn't worry about that. Um, yeah, let's, oh, wait, wait, Wells Fargo. Let's do Wells Fargo. <clears throat> Wells Fargo says that it's not too late to buy Bitcoin. Also written by Namcios for Bitcoin Magazine. It's not too late to invest in Bitcoin, said multinational financial services giant Wells Fargo in a Monday report drawing parallels between the adoption rates of the internet in the 1990s and that of cryptocurrency today. Wells Fargo's global investment strategy team explained in the report that Bitcoin's over 200% annualized gains since its first transaction in 2010 often leads some investors to think that it may be too late to join the party. However, Wells Fargo disagrees. Quote, we understand the too late to invest argument, but do not subscribe to it. The report said, explaining that similar to the internet in the mid to late 1990s, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies <clears throat> could soon exit the early adoption phase and enter the inflection point of hyper-adoption. Moreover, Wells Fargo believes that Bitcoin's adoption rate will be even faster than that of the internet because each new digital invention rides the coattails of the digital infrastructure that's already built, as evidenced by the steeper rise in smartphone adoption. Quote, we expect that cryptocurrencies will eventually follow an accelerated adoption path similar to recent digital innovations, the report said. Quote, it appears that cryptocurrency use today may, be, may even be a little ahead of the mid to late 1990s internet, Wells Fargo said, referring to the chart above, and it's just a chart showing adoption curves. Quote, precise numbers aside, there is no doubt that global cryptocurrency adoption is rising and could soon hit a hyperinflection point. The report said a steeper S-curve for Bitcoin might be fueled in part by greater regulatory clarity as legal frameworks that have begun being drawn solidify the digital currency as an investable asset for many high net worth individuals that have been unwilling to make an allocation. However, Wells Fargo suggests that investors obtain Bitcoin exposure through private placements by professional asset managers rather than buying the digital currency directly from an exchange, arguing that the technology is complex. 
Buying Bitcoin isn't as complicated as it used to be, as intuitive developments get built around the world. In the United States, for instance, users can buy BTC directly from Cash App, the popular financial services application by Block, and withdraw to a Bitcoin wallet of their choice. Even though there is a learning curve with self-custodying Bitcoin, the positives outweigh the negatives in the long run since it is the only way to benefit from Bitcoin's value proposition of complete financial freedom. I want to read this one again. Wells Fargo suggests that investors obtain Bitcoin exposure through private placements by professional asset managers rather than buying the digital currency directly from an exchange, arguing that the technology is complex. Well, that tells me that Wells Fargo is nowhere close to having their own exchange set up. They're not even thinking about it. So they're saying that Bitcoin is great and you should buy it, but that you should do it through professional asset managers, which is going to drive what? More professional asset managers to learn about Bitcoin. What is that going to drive? The need for Bitcoin educators. Remember what I've been saying the last couple of days. Bitcoin education is the keystone species in this space right now. That may change. But for right now, and in my opinion, for the foreseeable future, the Bitcoin education is the keystone species. Let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities, flammable liquids uh, having some problems today. West Texas Intermediate down 1.69% to under $89.78. Brent North Sea likewise down one and three quarters to $91.08. Natural gas faring better, 2.13% to the upside, $4.32 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline down almost a full two points to $2.63 a gallon. Shiny metal rocks are kind of mixed. Gold up a quarter of a point to eighteen hundred and twenty-five bucks. Silver is up three quarters of a or no, 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 sorry, one third of a point to twenty-three dollars and fifteen cents. Platinum is up over a point to one thousand thirty-one dollars and ninety cents. Copper is down a half point. Palladium down scant point zero five. Ag futures are mixed. Coffee being the biggest winner, three percent to the upside followed by chocolate, one and a quarter percent to the upside. Biggest loser today is rough rice, 1.13% to the downside. Dow up 0.29%. S&P is down 0.09%. NASDAQ futures down 0.17%. And the S&P mini up almost a full point. God only knows why. Real money struggling a little bit today, 43,259 bucks. 291,000 transactions over the last 24 hours gives just over 12,000 transactions per hour, but 1.5 million BTC have been sent in that 24-hour period. It's been quite a while since I've seen it over a million BTC sent in 24 hours. That's 63,250 BTC sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 5.21 BTC. The median transaction value 0.016 BTC or about 700 bucks. Block times are hideously low, nine minutes and 17 seconds with 0.1 BTC taken in fees in the past uh, on a per block basis and 15 and three quarters BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. 
Uh, block times are not matching with the hash rate. We have a 8% drop in hash rate, bringing us back down to 184 and a half exahashes per second. So those numbers for me are not washing. Um, I, I think that BitInfo Charts has a disparity between where they're getting their block times from versus where they're getting hash rate from. I don't think they match. I think that block times were probably low a while back, but they're they're going to be high very quickly. Uh, Dogecoin, your shitcoin in indicator is 15 and one half United States pennies. A mere 279 transactions are waiting on a single block to clear. $819.9 billion is the market capitalization of Bitcoin, which is again under 7% of Bitcoin or no, sorry, gold's entire market cap. However, you can get 23.8 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,952,135 and one quarter of. 3,440 and a half of those are locked in the Lightning Network valued at $148.9 million. Ladies and gentlemen, we are five nodes that we know about away from 20,000 Bitcoin nodes, 19,995, 85,849 payment channels and 76.3% of all of it's being run over Tor. 2,626.6 BTC are being handled by 11,567 nodes that we can see. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use, and I've been waiting for the following for well over two years. I'm not making an endorsement of the following. I just saw that, saw this this morning. So there is no endorsement. I have no idea if this thing actually works, but it's the idea that I've been wanting for well over two years. Trader builds Bitcoin by the dip bot and outperforms daily cost averaging. Cointelegraph, Joseph Hall, tell, tell me more, bro. While a bullish backdrop emerges in February, Spare a thought for the traders trying to time the market. One savvy trader by the name of U. Sam J. Hill on Reddit has built a trading tool that outperforms dollar cost averaging for buying Bitcoin. DCA is the strategy in which investors buy a small amount regularly regardless of price fluctuations. It works in contrast to traders keen to get the lowest entry, timing the dip to perfection and, and avoiding catching a falling knife. The aptly named Buy the Dip Bot aims to get the best price for a given asset by using a limit strategy. Inspired by another Redditor who suggested a manual limit buy order strategy for getting the best price entry, you, Sam J. Hill, the user on Reddit, uh, took the idea one step further, coding up a dip buying bot. The bot places limit orders at several intervals below the current price, and if an order gets executed or canceled, it starts again. Using tech from Amazon Web Services, Python, Lambda, DynamoDB, and React.js, while hosted on GitHub, the cost to run is low, about five bucks per month. While the bot has been beavering away since December, it hit a maiden milestone on Monday, reaching profitability versus regular dollar cost averaging. The price per coin advantage is about five to 10% cheaper right now, which you could also think of as getting that much more coin for your money, Sam told Cointelegraph. 
The bot runs a backtesting library to work out the best entry points for the limit buys, a complex process, but the work has paid off, culminating in a winning strategy. When asked by Cointelegraph if he would recommend the bot as opposed to regular DCA, Sam replied, it depends on where you are in your Bitcoin journey. Quote, for people just starting out, regular DCA probably makes more sense since your goal is probably to stack as many coins as possible. For those later in their journey, they might have a decent stack already and want to minimize increasing their cost basis and so might benefit more from this, end quote. Sam, who first learned of Bitcoin around 2013, added that he is doing both DCA and the limit strategy to get a more even curve of coin growth. While the future is currently Bitcoin orange for the trading bot, Sam built the system for easy integration with shit coins, of course, and I won't even name the names. In either event, this is something that I've been wanting. I asked River to build this. I've asked Swan Bitcoin to build this. Both outfits told me that they're, they're working on it and soon TM, right? Trademark. Um, and not, not to disparage either River or Swan. I love both of those companies. I mean, it's like I, my uh, family company uh, DCAs with Swan Bitcoin every week and has been doing so since this, what was it, January of uh, last year. Yeah, January of last year. So we are, what, 14 months into my family's company's DCA journey with Swan. So I don't have any problems with Swan. So don't, go, don't get me wrong. I also don't have any problems with River. However, it just like well back two years ago, it just seemed to me that this is a no brainer. Why would you, why wouldn't you allow your customers to daily cost average with something like a limit order and not actually playing the markets as much as saying, look, I'm going to spend like, let's say a hundred bucks a week. I'm going to do that anyway. Is there any possible way that I can maximize how much coin that I can get for that hundred bucks? And it seemed to me that automating the process of just looking for dips and not executing your DCA at exactly the same time on exactly the same day was the way to go. So in essence, instead of like, let's say a hundred bucks a week. So it's like, you know, let's say four, let's say four weeks, you know, a month. So 400 bucks. And if if you happen to be around a situation where your limit order executes once a week, then you're going to spend that $100 on that week. But what if the thing says, you know what, let's wait. Let, you know, I've done the calculations. Let's wait a little bit and see what happens because the back testing seems to suggest that we may be up for a dip or that this dip isn't quite over. And it just delays the automated DCA uh, uh, purchase. Let's say it does that for three straight weeks. And then all of a sudden here it comes and it says, okay, the week one, week two, and week three buys that we were gonna do, we're all gonna, we're gonna do all of them right here. And yet it's still automated. It's still the same amount of money that you would have spent anyway. This is what I've been waiting for. So I am hoping that this guy's thing actually works because I haven't seen it in the wild yet. And I haven't talked to anybody who's used it yet. But it would be nice for that shit to be a, an option choice of DCA for River, Swan Bitcoin, uh, Cash App, uh, Strike, all of them. That would be a really kick-ass thing to integrate. And I hope that they start looking very seriously at doing so. The FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, 
to make assessing risks of crypto a priority for 2022. Bitcoin hater Scott Cipollina has it for Decrypt.co. The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, FDIC, has said that crypto will be a priority area of focus in 2022. Quote, the rapid introduction of a variety of crypto assets or digital assets products into the financial system could pose significant safety and soundness and financial system risks. FDIC Acting Chairman Martin Gruenberg said in a statement yesterday, uh, quote, it is imperative that the federal banking agencies carefully consider the risks posed by these products and determine the extent to which banking organizations can safely engage in crypto asset related activities, added Gruenberg. In addition to evaluating the risks behind the crypto industry, the FDIC will focus on financial risks posed by climate change, review the bank merger process, strengthen the Community Reinvestment Act, and finalize the Basel III Capital Rule, which aims to strengthen the regulatory framework for large banking organizations. FDIC's recognition of crypto-related risks follow a similar line of thought prevalent across many other regulatory and law enforcement agencies in the United States. The FDIC, like many others, is concerned that the crypto industry could pose risks to the wider financial system. Jesus Christ, how frail is your freaking system? Continuing, Securities and Exchange Commission Chairman Gary Gensler has said similar, repeatedly making the case for more robust consumer protection laws applicable to the crypto industry. He has also openly opined about the possibility of decentralized finance running rife with unregistered securities. Yeah, well, that's true. In Washington, D.C., Senator Elizabeth Warren has said the crypto industry needs rules of the road and that crypto puts the financial system in the hands of shadowy supercoders. Again, how fragile is your financial system? A recent investigation by Decrypt has found that the Biden administration's crypto strategy aims to use federal agencies to target stablecoin issuers like Tether and Circle. Quote, it's a very thought through doctrine about how to stop the crypto industry from growing too fast and too much, said Maya Zahevi, crypto entrepreneur and investor who has previously asked regulators or advised regulators. The Bank for International Settlements and IOSCO securities regulators have also weighed in on the crypto industry. In October of last year, both organizations collectively said stable coins ought to follow the same rules as traditional payments. Just before Christmas last year, the Bank of England also warned, like the FDIC, that cryptocurrency industry could pose a threat to the established financial system. Again, how fragile is your system? Quote, the point, I think, at which one worries is when it becomes integrated into the financial system when a big price correction could really affect other markets and affect established financial market players Sir John Cunliffe, deputy bank governor, told the BBC at the time, quote, it's not there yet, but it takes time to design standards and regulations, he said. So the FDIC, uh, which is what gives you back your $100,000 should your bank go belly up, uh, is now concerned about the crypto industry as well. So be prepared for banking rules uh, coming down the pipe. Uh, not this year, uh, probably, oh, uh, no, no, I could see it 2023, 24, 25, somewhere around there. Now, <clears throat> also in the U.S. news, but this time about figure skating. I, I enjoy figure skating. Honestly, it's the only thing from the Winter Olympics aside from uh, grand slalom or uh, giant slaloms that I actually like, like watching. Helen Parts for Cointelegraph 
The United States National Figure Skating Body adopts Bitcoin donations. And no, I'm not replacing the word. Thank God for Helen. She is, again, writing for Cointelegraph. The United States National Governing Body for the Sport of Figure Skating, U.S. Figure Skating, is the latest organization in the country to enable donations in cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. The association has partnered with the enterprise-level donation platform in Given in order to start accepting donations and gifts in cryptocurrency, United States Figure Skating announced on Tuesday. The organization initially revealed its plans to enable cryptocurrency donations in September of 2021. The new donation payment option is immediately available on U.S. Figure Skating's website via InGiven's platform, featuring donations in major cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, Shitcoin 1, Shitcoin 2, and a couple of stable coins. Quote, U.S. Figure Skating now allows gifts in cryptocurrency for any of its major funds. Gifts of cryptocurrency are eligible for tax relief and can help U.S. Figure Skating to create programming for athletes, the association website's reads. According to the announcement, InGiven automatically exchanges donated crypto into the United States dollar, transferring the funds immediately to U.S. Figure Skating. U.S. Figure Skating is the first national governing body in the United States that will accept gifts in multiple cryptocurrencies, the announcement notes. U.S. Figure Skating Executive Director Ramsey Baker noted that the introduction of the donation options come in line with the association continuing to look for new and innovative ways to provide funding to its athletes, clubs, programs, and initiatives. Quote, allowing our supporters to give to U.S. figure skating using cryptocurrency makes sense in today's quickly changing financial marketplace. Baker added that the more avenues available for current and new donors to support the organization, the more U.S. figure skating would be able to directly support the athletes and the many programs that serve its members. So even the boss of U.S. figure skating understands the changes in the financial system that are upon us. It won't take long before the rest of the world follows suit. I'm just saying. Eric Voorhees Okay, going to read it. It's by Bitcoin hater Scott Cipollina again out of Decrypt. But I hate to say this, but I agree with Eric Voorhees about 50% of the time, maybe more. I think he, I still think that he did everybody a disservice by signing the New York Agreement. If you don't know what the New York Agreement is, just go to DuckDuckGo and type in Bitcoin, NYA, and New York Agreement, or and or New York Agreement, and it was the block size wars. He was he was one of the suit-wearing, tie-wearing assholes that sat around that table, the Satoshi Roundtable, and signed his name to a letter that was going to that was basically telling all of us Bitcoiners to go fuck ourselves that they were going to raise the amount of transactions that can go through in a single block by raising the block size, and that we didn't have anything to do with it, and we shut them down. So take everything Eric says with a grain of salt, but sometimes the man's right. So let's see why it is that I put this up here. Eric Voorhees says, central bank digital currencies are Orwellian spy surveillance nightmares. Eric Voorhees is many things. Bitcoin OG, outspoken libertarian and founder of the crypto exchange company turned Dow Shapeshift. He also hates the concept of central bank digital currencies with a passion. Quote, no one who's in crypto likes CBDCs. No one who understands the value of cryptocurrency likes CBDCs at all, Voorhees said during an extensive conversation of Decrypt's new GM podcast. Quote, 
It's like all the worst aspects of fiat today in your bank, plus Orwellian spy surveillance nightmares. And so who is clamoring for CBDCs? Only people that want surveillance over their subjects. Those are the only people. Obviously, this is why China is leading the pack in terms of adoption of CBDCs. Voorhees certainly isn't the only person in crypto who feels there's no compelling point to government-controlled cryptocurrencies which don't look markedly different from the traditional finance world that we already have today. Quote, people need to realize that fiat currencies are already digital. So the dollar is already a digital currency. So is the euro, he said, adding that moving to a CBDC is kind of funny because we sort of already have that. If anything, the Shapeshift founder added it's even worse than the current banking system since CBDCs would have greater surveillance capabilities over all of the people using it. After all, that is the appeal of blockchains. Transparent, public, with all transactions tracked on chain. And yet, CBDCs continue their rise. China's own CBDC, the digital yuan, is rapidly progressing. It's being accepted as payment at this year's Winter Olympics in Beijing, and about $1.5 million worth of the coin was just airdropped to tens of thousands of Chinese citizens and has already appeared in stores nationwide. Well, it's because they're forcing you to use it. <laughs> Bitcoin advocate and Senator Cynthia Lummis, alongside Senators Marsha Blackburn and Roger Wicker, asked the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee to stop athletes from using the digital wand amid concerns it may be used to surveil Chinese citizens and those visiting China on an unprecedented scale. The United States has been far more cautious about adopting its own CBDC, though officials like Fed Chair Jay Powell have repeatedly said the U.S. is, quote, looking into it. Voorhees believes the U.S. is at a fork in the road, quote, the United States can go either the way of China and make this Orwellian super-centralized CBDC world, or they can be a little more free market about it and acknowledge that private companies like Circle, like Tether, have already created a CBDC that's better than anything that they could create, he said, adding that that's probably how it will go. And this is what Voorhees actually hopes to see, stable coins that fit the CBDC bill. They are a currency of the central bank and they are digital. However, they operate on open networks, and even though they are not permissionless, they are far better than the banking system, end quote. Voorhees doesn't just oppose CBDCs. He's flat out, flat out against any financial product that sacrifices user privacy. In August last year, he tweeted that KYC is unethical. KYC, he added, quote, employs the coercion of government to require companies to endanger their customers and customers to endanger themselves, end quote. Well, that's why, in July, Shapeshift became a fully decentralized exchange and shut down its corporate business. Becoming a decentralized exchange was crucial for Voorhees as it enabled trading without intermediaries. What's more, Shapeshift's code base went fully open source. Good for you, dude. With control being handed over to the Shapeshift DAO. By November, the new Shapeshift DAO formed a partnership with ICHI, a stablecoin platform, to mint a native stablecoin pegged to the U.S. dollar. While the Shapeshift founder said he's lost faith in the American government, he predicts U.S. political leaders will ultimately allow stablecoin usage to grow because, quote, they're not as Orwellian or desiring of central surveillance as China, end quote. I completely disagree with that last statement. They are. They, they, they most definitely are. The United States or the American government is very interested in knowing everything that you do, 
every single second of the day because they're just as fucking asshole Orwellian guys as the Chinese government. It's just as bad. I still think that there will be a schism in the world between financial markets. You'll have the Eastern financial market. You'll have the Western financial market. I do think that stable coins are not going to go away. You t- Tether will be here. Circle will be here. There will probably be about, you know, you know, a good handful of stable coins that, you know, work and probably work well, depending on what your definition of well is. But there will be a schism in financial markets. And I think the West, if we're smart, will adopt Bitcoin as the base layer money and then stable coins and all kinds of other stuff will be stacked upon it. I will have no desire to use said stable coins, but you can't educate every single person on the face of the planet right now in why it is that you don't want to do that. So we're going to have to live with it. I don't mean that we don't need to be constantly putting stable coins down or making sure that people understand that it's still a tool of the state, but you do not, we can't just spin our wheels and expend all of our energy hating on that, which is not going to go away. Although I can say the same thing about Ethereum. I choose to channel all of, of my negative energy into just that. That's what I like. That's, that's where I want to like, just to have people understand that they're about to get into something that's going to eat their lunch. But with all that said, the bifurcation of the East markets and the West markets is going to happen. The Western markets will only survive one way, and that's with Bitcoin. And if they adopt Bitcoin and even even just lip service adoption of Bitcoin by the United States government and the Federal Reserve will absolutely ultimately overcome the Eastern markets because nobody will want to deal with the totalitarian state that has infected Russia Australia, New Zealand, Taiwan, all of Malaysia, uh, you get my drift, and the uh, northeastern section of China, of Africa. And it's very possible that that's where we're really going to see the battle lines drawn is the east and west boundary layers of Africa and how much the digital wand penetrates from the eastern side from their eastern side into Africa versus how much Bitcoin penetrates from the West. That continent will probably be the financial battleground of our lifetimes. So uh, with all that said, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, it's Tuesday, so we probably need a joke. Dad says jokes. I put up a high-voltage electric fence around the house. My neighbor is dead against it. Yeah, that'd have to be a really high-voltage electric fence for you to kill a human being if they touched it. But be that as it may, uh, if you want to support the show, you can do so in Dirty Filthy Fiat through Patreon, the Bitcoin and Podcast. Actually, it's just Bitcoin and Podcast on Patreon. I do want to thank all of my Patreon sponsors over there right now. Second is my favorite way to do it, but you may not be comfortable with Lightning yet. 
And that is to use Podcasting 2.0. Use the Sphinx Chat app, use Fountain app, use, uh, oh my God, what was it? Oh God, Breeze Wallet. I can't, I'm so sorry. Breeze Wallet. Uh, there's about, you know, 20 to 30 uh, different uh, podcatchers that are uh, Bitcoin 2.0 enabled and you can stream me Satoshis with your app while you listen to the podcast with the same app. And now that Cash App is enabled, Lightning uh, transactions, you can fund any of these wallets with your Cash App through the Lightning Network. So win-win and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.